Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. And welcome back. It's 16th of March 2021. Uh, Quincy Klut, Managing Editor of uh, Visegrad Insight, is with me here. Uh, my name is Wojciech Przybylski. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Visegrad Insight. This is Visegrad Insight podcast. Um, as uh, every week, we're uh, trying to catch uh, the vibe of what Central Europe democratic security in particular, but not only, uh, is is all about. And in this week, we have been publishing uh, a number of pieces again, um, following the most the, the, the hot topics of, of about the region, not to mention in the previous uh, week, we haven't uh, already picked on the topics that are hot already this week. So uh, stay tuned, uh, check our website and do subscribe. I I would uh, follow immediately uh, on 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 this uh, on this review of what we have published and and ask you Quincy um, which text would you highlight uh, of of the recent ones uh, which are noteworthy and and definitely uh, need uh, our listeners uh, attention well one of the hottest debates right now is still uh, what will happen exactly with the recovery funds uh, so we have a nice uh, piece by Sona Muzikarova from Globsec on this uh, on the challenge uh, because of course we're talking about a lot of money but the question is also going to be how it's going to be spent whether also um, the conditions are there in the Visegrad for um, actually to na- to enable these funds to be to be spent well and to make a difference in the next couple of years so that is definitely one topic one is, well, actually already looking a little bit ahead at what is coming in the next couple of weeks, Bulgarian par- parliamentary elections. Spasimir Domaratsky, our uh, Visegrad Insight fellow, who also closely follows what is happening in the Western Balkans, is already tackling this subject from the perspective of reconciliation. Um, in the wider region of the Western Balkans. He is looking at, uh, well, particularly Bulgaria and North Macedonia, this tricky relationship which has been beset with a couple of difficulties in recent months. More will definitely follow on, on Bulgaria, both from Spasimir and also from our other fellow, Asiya Metodieva. And, uh, well, later um, this week, uh, when, when this uh, podcast will go live, we'll also read more on Czechia and the uh, heated political debate there on Duk- so the nuclear power plant, how it's really also splitting politics in Czechia, but also very much comes at a time when Czechia is struggling to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, we will also speak on this podcast on the things we haven't published. We we simply didn't have uh, immediately capacity, but also uh, the the pace of events uh, is uh, is going faster than than we expected. And uh, we will speak in a moment about Slovakia. But first, uh, let me t- turn your attention to our weekly outlook, um, where we every Monday we publish uh, a set of uh, well bullet points, indeed. Um, items to look ahead uh, for this week. And um, according to the title and, and following also the, the another picture that we put on, um, you, you will see on the website, uh, the man on the picture is Daniel Obajtek. He is a CEO of the um, biggest oil company in Poland, state-owned or partially state-owned, but definitely state-controlled. The government is uh, traditionally every, every, turn, every term uh, appointing it's a delegate for the CEO for the to, to lead the board um, uh, and Mr. Bobitek previously um, 
a mayor of a, of a local town, someone actually calculated a town that is exactly midway uh, on the line between Warsaw and Budapest. So if, if anyone goes by car, that definitely makes a stop halfway in Pchim. Has been found over the last weeks and actually discover, discoveries are coming every day. Making He's been making purchases uh, of immobilities um, that uh, by far exceeded the his 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 budget uh, potential, judging from his earnings in the, in the public offices, uh, that already raised some eyebrows. But then uh, journalists and MEPs have been digging deeper, and it turned out he has been abusing office also apparently in while sitting at Pekin Orlin and and receiving. Um, well, uh, uh, half price uh, apartments, uh, apartments for, uh, for, for half, half price he's been purchasing in Warsaw while sitting at Pekin Orlin. Uh, apparently, thanks to favors that Pekin Orlin was, uh, when, when Pekin Orlin was sponsoring a football team by, by one of the developers. Now, the, that would be just a, a, a standard corrupt case. However, uh, Pekin Orlin is the company involved, and Mr. Obaitek has been uh, the, the brave and praised one by Mr. Kaczynski to take over local media uh, in Poland, to, to take over regional media and to grow appetite and his growing appetites to take over more media, including conservative Rzeczpospolita uh, daily, as, as the rumor goes. Uh, right now it's in, in the discussion uh, with, with some hints that uh, he might be actually looking at this purchase. That would enable to make this step Budapest on the on the on this Warsaw Budapest line. Uh, we call it also War, uh, Budapest Warsaw Express as policy innovations or policy disruptions, we should say, are traveling uh, from, from Budapest to Warsaw and exactly media takeover in the domain of, of, of regional newspapers um, that are going hand in hand with new legislation undercutting the, um, the independence or the, the, the economic situation of, of independent publisher uh, publishers is, is now uh, at play in Poland. So this is a story worth to follow and, and more uh, points on, on what to follow are naturally f uh, to be found in the in the weekly outlook. Uh, previous week, we also published a story by Edith Good on, on the very same subject uh, where uh, Edith has been uh, highlighting corrupt uh, clientelism uh, developing in Poland again uh, along what she claims are the lines of the of the illiberal democracy or um, uh, the hybrid regime and and you know all these fancy names uh, people are struggling to to comprehend what, what it is I mean it is uh, in any case a dysfunctional democracy but now Quincy over to you I wanted to ask about Slovakia as we speak as we sit at, at the mic we've been hearing uh, some disturbing news uh, uh, for some nef naturally exciting news from Slovakia, but uh, but the, the government may, the government of Mr. Matovic is now at serious risk, and more importantly, he himself might not survive as prime minister still this week. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is definitely turmoil in Slovakia. I mean, uh, it has been simmering uh, for, for a while already, but it, in the last uh, 24, 48 hours, it has really sparked into into an open conflict. And uh, 
while we're recording, it's still unclear whether Matovic will will survive as a, as a prime minister and also whether this coalition government uh, will survive. And um, me saying that, well, we have to touch a little bit on also how this coalition came into existence. Uh, let's go back um, a year when, when, well, some of these parties uh, came into power, uh, clearly on a platform to, to do different from the Social Democrats, uh, Robert Fico and uh, Petr Pellegrini. Um, so, so a lot of this was also related to the murder on Jan Kuczak and then the popular protests uh, following this. So there was a strong uh, popular uh, demand, uh, popular support, but uh, early on uh, some of the tensions already came about. Uh, Matovic um, often using um, a weird sense of humor, often uh, being a little bit unpredictable in his decisions. Think uh, back on sort of Slovakia's decision to do these national testing campaigns for COVID-19. And more recently, uh, I think a very staggering case of uh, Matovic ordering um, or at least going ahead and uh, ordering Sputnik uh, vaccines, uh, a decision which was not properly consulted with the other coalition partners. So that is definitely one element, uh, Matovic's personal style as a prime minister. But there are some also some tensions between parties in the coalition. Um, we see that uh, between Matovic and, and uh, Richard uh, Schulich, uh, from Freedom and Solidarity, who is uh, quite trusted, quite popular as an economy minister. Um, but then if you look also at statements from the other coalition partners, um, it seems it's become very untenable both for Matovic and Sulik actually highly likely to, to stay in government. Um, let me also add that last week already a health minister resigned and this was a, an attempt uh, to sort of um, to, to lower tensions but it, it hasn't really it hasn't really happened. Yeah. Well th that was a demand that was a clear mm -hmm. demand from the coalition partners uh, and now also the demands are for the head of, of Mr. Matovic uh, as, as a prime minister and um, I think that is worth to underscore here how Slovak political scene is fragmented. It's uh, it's an impressive number of parties for such a small country to be in the parliament. They are, uh, their uh, voting powers are therefore distributed among many small players who who play um, who play an important role when building a coalition government. And so far, I mean, one year into the pandemic, the coalition government has been doing tremendously well in comparison to to the expectations. I mean, this was the government with a clear leadership also from uh, independently elected uh, President Chaputova was uh, taking, um, I mean, an exemplary uh, direction vis-a-vis uh, -vis also its V4 neighbors towards the continuous um, pro-Western direction, uh, European integration, but also uh, not being at all tempted, uh, except for one minority partner that was then put back into the ranks to question the validity of, of um, WHO, of, of medical staff, on, on medical findings on COVID. So you saw that at the swearing of the swore um, uh, when when the government was sworn in, uh, they all wore masks. That was a big statement in the time. You know, it was still hard to hard to uh, miss that point a year ago. It was still age of Donald Trump, and a lot of what aboutism and, and questionable uh, statements from different political leaders like Bolsonaro and, and many other radical uh, leaders, even in Poland, in the in the midst of the presidential campaign, when. Uh, 
Andrzej Duda, incumbent president at that time, was saying that, you know, this COVID might have been just a flu. Uh, so this government was doing exceptionally well throughout the pandemic time, but indeed it got somewhere lost, I think, on the, on the way. And and the and the case in point, as you said, uh, was was the was so called Russian question or Sputnik Sputnik question. Some people call this Sput yeah. is it Sputnik five or Sputnik V or what is Sputnik something? Yes, whether it's victory or something else. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think the most striking was uh, anybody that has read uh, about Matovich in, in recent days, uh, uh, him trying to joke uh, about Sputnik and uh, paying the Russians by by letting them take more of of Ukraine's territory, which was definitely not well received uh, in Ukraine, but also diplomatically, I think, within Slovakia and neighboring countries, I think, uh, hit a rough nerve. Uh. And it definitely was not accepted by its uh, coalition, his coalition partners. Some of them uh, might have some inclinations uh, towards uh, Russia, but uh, not very openly, at, at least in comparison to the biggest enemy uh, of, of all of them, uh, which are uh, fascists. Party of, of Mr. Kotleba, but um, but many and the most serious uh, partners of this government are are uh, strictly pro EU, pro NATO, and they want they don't want any sort of um, uh, geopolitical narrative to take over uh, the rule of law or inter international law uh, mm -hmm. setting. Let me just add one um, one maybe possibility for the future because we are thinking a bit ahead and what might happen. I mean, uh, they are the, this current coalition is a bit in a catch twenty two situation where obviously um, there is damage uh, being being done um, by by Matovic and and we see it also in in the polls and in sort of the likability of some of the partners, but they also want to avoid new elections at at any cost. So they are in a difficult spot where. Um, um, there are demands uh, for, for Matovic, for Sulik to step down, but it's not yet obvious uh, what will come next, uh, which which uh, people may may uh, step up uh, and, uh, and replace them or whether we will go to a scenario of new elections. Subscribe to our service with a one month free discount code. We love you. You'll find it also on our website, isagradinside.eu. Let's now turn to an interesting debate we had at Visegrad Insight earlier this week with uh, three members of the European Parliament, uh, Michal Szymecka from Slovakia, Anna Donat from Hungary and Sergei Lagodinsky from Germany on matters of media freedom. Now, in this uh, discussion, we talked about uh, the notion of information sovereignty, how it can be relevant also to frame this discussion and also what the Parliament is uh, doing uh, or considering at least uh, to protect media pluralism and and also independent journalism. Listen now to a few excerpts from the debate. I think I think we have to be here a little bit uh, systemic and systematic in our answering and also watch not to overpromise, because I think one of the pro problems that we're facing now is that we um, start also the European Parliament, as, as uh, Michal mentioned it, I think, in the interview, being the, the good conscience of the uh, European Union, um, granted, but um, when I see uh, what we can cause on um, expectations that are not realistic and not deliver, then sometimes I even think maybe we should be a little bit more timid in our promises. And I think one point is that 
um, dealing with the media issues, I, I'm not sure as a lawyer, being a constitutional lawyer myself, I, I'm not sure we would be able to um, break it down to uh, a subjective individual right of a citizen uh, uh, for media plurality. This is very difficult. I don't think we would be able to, to drag a state into court uh, uh, if a citizen says, you know, you, you have forbidden this or that press outlet and that have infringed on my right of information. I think this is a, this is a stretch. But where I think the legal uh, opportunity lies is that Article 2 indeed covers democracy. And I think this is not so much an, an, a matter of uh, individual fundamental rights of citizens. Uh, it's a matter of individual fundamental rights of outlets themselves in the, in the sense of freedom of press. This is something that the press outlets do have a right themselves if they, uh, it is being infringed on. This is number one. And number two is this is, of course, an, precisely what you said, an integral part of uh, the pluralist system and, and, and media and opinion pluralism in a, in a functioning democracy. And this is where we should be pushing the commission uh, to look into ways of how to go about that. Uh, um, uh, the commission is indeed not very um, eager uh, to, they're very uh, timid. I think that this is this is the problem with the, this commission, particular commission generally, and maybe colleagues could uh, um, agree on that, that we have, we, we basically drag them all the time uh, uh, to the courts on issues of rule of law. So maybe we should start dragging them to the courts on issues of democracy, of other democratic uh, dimensions like uh, media pluralism. Uh, so this is number one. Number two, uh, maybe we should explore other instruments uh, um, uh, for example, I mean, we, we, we have to start uh, um, increasing the uh, ownership transparency generally uh, and, and also apply this also in the media realm. Uh, we uh, should uh, look into a competition law and in how much uh, centralization uh, of media in one hand also infringes on, on those and maybe also adjusting the thresholds because we're talking there not about huge uh, 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 media, but smaller amounts of money, and we need to adjust maybe the legislative uh, uh, framework on that. And we should also uh, look into the DSA in the in the framework of DSA regulations on how we want to go about political ads and ads generally in the in the uh, realm of digital, uh, um, because. I'm afraid uh, that we will not be able, even with our democratic spirit, we will not be able in the long term to save the print media. Uh, and the next uh, field of combat will be uh, the media online. Um, again, we see this in the very despotic and totalitarian countries, but maybe this is a warning for us uh, um, regarding the future of countries that are on the edge and members of the European Union. Uh, we also uh, should look maybe into legislation on, on anti-dumping um, uh, in how far ads uh, provided by public sources and, and public actors 
are an illegal uh, um, intervention by state in the free market of media. Uh, These are points that uh, I think, you know, if you go through them systematically, there is a whole agenda on how we can act, even with the commission, which is lacking the will of uh, being judicially activist and, 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 and court um, and, and active. Uh, so we, we need uh, to, to have a systemic and systematic approach based on, and I think I'll come back to that, Article 2, and, and what, what Michael also mentioned, Article 2 is not just rule of law and not just fundamental freedoms. Article 2 is also democracy, and media freedom is part of our democracy the way we see it, the liberal democracy of the European Union. Thank you, Sergey. And I'm uh, now, again, announcing the possibility to ask questions through the chat box. In fact, there are many comments and questions, and I'm going to pick a few uh, in the discussion now. But also, uh, raise your hands, your, your virtual hands. I, I not necessarily see everyone on the screen if they are just waving. But um, in, the, in the participants box, um, you can raise your hand. You can signal to me, or you can write in the chat box that you want to give a comment or, or ask a question. And we still have uh, 20 minutes to go. So there will be some time uh, for some of you to uh, to do that. And I will immediately pick on Stefan Schwed's um, uh, com one of the comments. He made uh, three excellent ones, I believe. And, uh, and, and this one he directs to Michal and Anna. He asks, Following up, in a way, I mean, he asked this question even before Sergei uh, spoke now, but, uh, are competition tools or any other mechanisms that protect the market of any use, in your opinion, when it comes to protecting balance of the media landscape? How much value do these instruments offer have? How much would you like to refer to them in your, uh, in your political initiative in the European Parliament? Anna? Uh, well, I, I, I believe the most important is that uh, uh, competition law should be used to stop autocratic governments funneling public funds to their own uh, on, on media because this distorts media markets. So this is uh, uh, for once it's uh, for sure can be done. Um, to, to be honest, um, uh, competition uh, um, uh, law or, or competition tools are not the, my, the cup of my expertise. Uh, however, uh, I believe that, that uh, there could be like stronger regulation from a European level in order to create, as I already mentioned, the transparency of the media uh, ownership, uh, as well as uh, as uh, the public uh, broadcaster, the, the funding of public broadcasters, because I know that it's a national uh, uh, competence uh, level. However, in these countries where, where uh, public broadcasters are not serving the public interest and uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's only a mouthpiece of, uh, of uh, governmental propaganda, then I think obviously uh, it, uh, we, we have to to start regulate it in a sense to to as as, as Miha said at the beginning uh, we can't talk about anymore and national level uh, uh, national ownerships and so on is not necessarily going to to protect the uh, the right to information and 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 especially not uh, uh, media sovereignty. All right, uh, Miha, uh, how much do you see of, of use in your political initiatives of of these instruments? Um, yeah. Yes, th thanks, Wojciech, and thanks, Stefan, for, for the question. I mean, this has already, to some extent, been, been addressed by, by Sergei. I mean, you have a number of legal avenues, uh, be it for precisely, as, as, I, as I mentioned, sort of discriminatory application of state advertising, you know, uh, depriving advertising um, uh, to uh, independent media and uh, actually giving it en masse to, to, to government media, 
you know, anti-competitive behavior. You could perhaps um, um, in, investigate when it comes to you know funding of public board, certain public broadcasters or state broadcasters. You could say that, uh, or perhaps you can bring a case when it comes to Hungary uh, uh, or, or the Club Radio case that this is a you know discriminatory, discriminatory uh, decision to strip them of the license. There, you can look at and you can look at the what would have been happening in Poland with the. Uh, with Pekin uh, Orland's purchase of, of media, whether that uh, whether that's you know in in, in line with uh, you know with, with the way we see competition um, in 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 the EU, these are all things that obviously would require smart lawyers and guts from the Commission to do. Um, and this comes back to to, to what Sergey says. I, 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 there are experts who think it could be done, but it's going to be extremely risky. Um, and as I and as I said before. There is some merit to the Commission's sort of cautiousness in the sense that I think they're overly cautious. But uh, but as they would, as anybody from the Commission sitting here would say, if we lose one case, it's a huge precedent and it sets us back years. That's their argument. And and for a time, I was kind of buying it, especially when it comes to to um, to, to areas which are not clearly defined, such as the rule of law, where they stand on firm ground. And for a long time, I was also kind of sympathetic to the argument that we should be careful because we can lose. But I think, and or at least in my mind, we have reached a point where sort of erring on the side of caution is too risky uh, when it comes to uh, independence of the media because the situation just keeps, you know, getting worse and worse. Um, so, so, so there are many tools um, and this really requires sort of very, very uh, deep expertise in EU competition law, state aid rules uh, and all of that. Um, and, and that's one thing. And I think the commission has that capacity, has that expertise, and then re it requires some gumption from, from, uh, and I think this would have to, uh, somehow be also, you know, a political decision in a way, um, um, by the commission to, to go for this. And my hope is that the parliament will finally kind of push them to do it. Find the full recording of this debate, which lasts one hour, on our website, visegradinsight.eu. Go to Think Tank section and search for debate with MEPs on media freedom in Central Europe. Thank you for listening. This was Visegrad Insight podcast on Central Europe from Central Europe. My name is Wojciech Przybylski and we hosted it together with Quincy Klute.